Thunder Media. This week on Inside Motorsport, we look at Formula One with Speed Cafe's Formula One editor, Matt Kosh. I hope you'll stay with us. Well, Matt, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show once again. And well, what a time to catch up. We are coming towards the final two races of the year and an interesting battle in Sao Paulo, which started in the most controversial of fashions when we saw a major incident off the start made worse by a tyre coming off the rim and bouncing around the field. Yeah, good, good to be uh, good to be back. It's been a, a little while. It's been such a long season. It uh, feels like it's been going on forever. But the, the, the checkered flag is is being unfurled. Just two races left. But yeah, Sao Paulo Grand Prix win another Max Verstappen win. But you know, winding right back to the start of the of the race, not the sprint that was the day before, but the race itself. We saw that that crash between Alex Albon, Nico Hulkenberg, Kevin Magnussen. I guess ultimately Oscar Piastri and Daniel Ricciardo were caught up in that as well. Um, it reminded me watching it live at the time of 1993, where uh, Michael Andretti had a massive shunt there at the start as well. I think it was with uh, one of the Ferraris, Gerhard Berger springs to mind. Um, but basically, it was a case of three cars jockeying for position. Alex Albon on the hard right of the circuit. You know, he had nowhere to go. He had, uh, I think it was. Nico Hulkenberg alongside him, and then Kevin Magnussen to his left, and then as that trio sort of converged, three into uh, to one bit of road, don't go, and it tipped Magnussen into Alex Albon. It peeled the tire off the rim. It wasn't the rim that came away; the wheel actually stayed on the car. But it was actually the tire that that got peeled away as Albon spun through the pack. In doing so, it sort of flew up into the air and it was ultimately Nico Hulkenberg who ran over it further up the road that fired it back up into the air and it came back down on the rear of Daniel Ricciardo's car now Daniel Ricciardo has said that you know that sort of incident could kill him and he's absolutely right we've seen similar instances of that think back to Justin Wilson uh, in IndyCar those sorts of things can be disastrous and it's exactly why we have the halo now in this instance it didn't hit the cockpit it hit the rear of the car but still hit the car it was a piece of heavy debris you know these tires are, are heavy they're uh, they're about 300 grams heavier this year than what they were last year which is part of the reason the cars weigh so much the minimum weight went up to account for the the new tires this year but that sort of debris it's not something that in an open wheel racing car i think you can ever escape from that risk is always going to be there but probably what puts us on notice is that it's one of the few risks that remain. Formula One racing is very safe. Um, we saw that thing back to the Singapore Grand Prix where Lance Stroll had a massive crash at the final corner. Um, that crash, I was sitting in the media center about 100 meters away from where Lance went into the wall and it sounded like a bomb went off. The energy from that crash was phenomenal. It inverted the car, skated it across the track, littered the circuit with debris and Lance has jumped out and he's been more or less absolutely fine. Formula One is very safe. There are very few risks, but bouncing debris is inherently unpredictable and particularly when it's heavy, something like a tire or a wheel or something like that, 
that can strike a driver's head, particularly when it's when it's sort of airborne and falling. Yeah, it, it is a big risk, and I think we were lucky in many respects. Unlucky for Daniel because he got caught with the red flag and lost a lap in that process, and his race was done by the first corner through no fault of his own, as was Oscar Piastri's. But uh, yeah, we sort of dodged a bullet a little bit there, and and the question is, how do we not have that bullet fire in future? And I, I don't see how that's uh, that's possible. You know, we've got wheel tethers, we've got halos, we've got cockpit surrounds that envelop the drivers. Yeah, it. Things start to. Well, actually, it wasn't what they say that bad a race? I thought. I think once you got behind the uh, leader, and started looking, there was some fantastic racing, and and the finish for third, it went down to one of those literal photo finishes, which showed the length of a car being something in the uh, order of point zero five three of a second, is uh, the, and that is. Fantastic racing when you consider third place changed uh, changed hands three times on the last lap. Yeah, it was fabulous. And Fernando Alonso, we know that guy's an out and out racer. He's forty something years old. He, you know, he basically needs a walking stick to get around these days. He's he's that much of a veteran. I'm being facetious there, of course, but he was saying that if you think back to two thousand and five, those of, of you who are old enough and and have a memory that stretches that back that far back in Formula One. He had this ding dong battle at the San Marino Grand Prix with Michael Schumacher. It's one of these legendary battles. You think of uh, what was it, Villeneuve and Arnoux at Dijon. There's a couple of them in Formula One history, and that was one of them. That 2005 San Marino Grand Prix. In that instance, there was less wheel to wheel, and it was more defensive and maneuvering and whatever. But it was a classic. Fernando Alonso said that what he did in Sao Paulo with Sergio Perez was harder because now you've got DRS and batteries and tire management and all these other things that come into play. It's different to what it was you know, nearly 20 years ago. And that battle, keeping Sergio Perez at bay and holding on to third place by less or just over half a tenth of a second, 0.053, as you say, it's phenomenal. It was great racing to see just the way he placed the car, the way he'd use the energy, the way he'd you know, almost back Perez up in the middle of the sector in his dirty air so that he'd abuse the tyres. So he had no grip coming out of Jung Sao onto the front straight. It was it was properly good uh, motor racing. And any, any young drivers out there, watch that because it's an absolute masterclass. Mm, it was some fantastic racing. And... Uh, we have seen some good races over the last few weeks, even though our championship or our champ, the champion elect, Max Verstappen, has absolutely dominated the season. There have been those battles, those points of interest at Mexico. It was how Daniel Ricciardo was able to get the Alpha Tori up into the top five throughout qualifying and then but for that late safety car, was there or thereabouts in the top five for the majority of the race. Yeah, that's the thing. We've been saying all year, take Max out of the equation. We've actually got you know a cracking championship on our hands because Mercedes is often there, but not always. Ferrari is a little bit up and down. 
McLaren is is a hard charger. It's come through the field, and you know the, the team that started the season versus the the team and the car has got now. They're almost two completely different entities if you look at them. Um, such as the difference in performance there. Aston Martin started the year brilliantly, went went missing during the uh, the summer break, and has only sort of just recaptured that. So we've seen these ebbs and flows throughout the field, which have kept us guessing because we can't expecting a team to to do well. You look at Mercedes, we you'd be nailed on saying Mercedes is going to be really strong in Brazil because it won there last year. Lewis Hamilton had that phenomenal performance in 2021 in the sprint where he came from the rear of the pack. It's a Mercedes circuit. And yet this year they were going backwards and they don't know why, which is the more concerning. They've had two or three good races in a row. They've got that momentum up and then they have an absolute dud. And it's been like that all year. The only sort of consistent thing has been Max Verstappen and uh, running him running away at the, uh, the front of the field. Everything else behind it is a jumbled mess. It's done exactly what Formula One has uh, has wanted with this new regulation set, and that we can't predict what's going to happen, provided Max Verstappen's on the race. Yes, uh, Sergio Perez is on 258 points. Lewis Hamilton on 226 points with two races left to go and a 22-point difference. You'd be saying, what a championship. Yeah, it's a cracker. Right now, the, the championship for second is is game on. And it's a similar sort of situation in the Constructors' Championship. Mercedes has a little bit of a gap to, to Ferrari, and those two are, are clear. McLaren was just too late getting in on that party. Uh, you know, By the time it got to Austria, the championship. Take Red Bull out of the equation, and you've got a really good battle for second between Ferrari and Mercedes. Even behind that, you've got McLaren and Aston Martin. They're not too far away from one another. And then behind that, you've got another little battle, particularly the bottom four now as well. That's particularly exciting because there's tens of millions of dollars on offer there between Haas, Alpha Tauri, Sauber, Alfa Romeo, and, and Williams. So there's lots of little battles and lots of interest happening behind Max Verstappen. And that's what's really encouraging and really exciting for me because it's not just talking about a record-breaking season and a driver who is having the most dominant season the sport has ever seen 17 wins in in 20 races that's the most dominant performance we have ever seen in formula one there's lots of stuff happening behind that that perhaps in previous eras you think of michael schumacher and and lewis hamilton's domination those storylines just weren't there One storyline that I wanted to touch on with you is that the series is going to Viva Las Vegas for what is going to be an interesting race and amazingly, an American race that is suitably timed for us here in Australia. Yeah, it's going to be really weird because it's a Saturday night race. It starts at 10pm local time, which I think that works out to be about 5pm uh australian eastern daylights time um do double check the the f1 website's got the exact times that actually convert it for you which is really handy um but yeah it's really good you don't have to get up at three in the morning or midnight like i've been doing for the last three weeks you can sleep in go out have a have a lazy coffee read the newspaper settle down in the comfy chair and, and watch some formula one in the afternoon it's it's going to be good, and it's going to be something special. Even from within the F1 paddock, there is something 
about Las Vegas, and I can't explain it beyond the vibe. Um, there's something there. What we're going to see in a little bit over a week's time, remember the race happens on Saturday night, so Sunday afternoon our time, so it's a little bit different. It all starts on Wednesday. There's going to be an opening ceremony and all this sort of stuff. It's a real pageant, this event. It's not just a traditional Grand Prix. This is Formula One going absolutely all out. The track looks interesting. It's going to be very cold, so who knows what that's going to do to the cars and the the tyres. But just everything around it, we're either going to see an absolute horror show and be shocked and appalled at what we see, or we're going to be absolutely in awe at the Hollywood-style production that they're sort of in place. And this is just year one. There's more to come on the back of this. I've just run out of time to develop some of the ideas that I've had. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting time. Of course, I'm old enough to remember when Alan Jones-elect ran around the uh, Caesars Perilous car park for what at the time was going to be his final Formula One race. So uh, that, oh, actually, he wasn't, um, he was world, it was his final race as world champion, wasn't it, when he uh, did that? And uh, yes, it's a return to uh, Las Vegas when it used to be called um, US Grand Prix West. Yeah, it's it, it's funny. It's We keep saying it's the first Las Vegas Grand Prix, but it's not the first Las Vegas Grand Prix. We've been there before, only it was in a dusty old featureless car park. It was a terrible place. You look at what they're developing now, they're blasting down the strip past all the casinos, right in the center of, of everything that happens in Las Vegas. Um, the whole city is behind it. The, the hotels and everything are behind it. Um, there is a little bit of a threat of a hospitality strike over there, but that seems as though it's it's under control. But, uh, yeah, it's Formula One expects it to be one of the top five events this year, and so it will never reveal what its top five events are, but it expects Las Vegas to be one of them. Uh, Stefano Domenicale and, um, and Greg Maffei, the Formula One bosses and Liberty Media boss, respectively, said as much in a, in a uh, third quarter earnings call last week that I was part of. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because this is this is the bold new future of, uh, of Formula One. This is the point where, if you think of happy days, it's, it's the weekends where Formula One jumps the shark. It is an analogy that many people who've worked on happy days said, we did another 150 episodes after that one. So <laughs> it's not that detrimental. <laughs> Yeah, yep. it's going to be a real turning point. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be massive. And uh, we actually spoke to Paul Marinelli, who was at that launch last year, which was almost a year ago uh, to this date. And he was just absolutely raving about the way they just even launched and the announcement of it. And so I can only imagine the race will be bigger and better than ever. Now, you've done some maths this week at Speed Cafe, and I, I honestly don't quite understand why does Max Verstappen have to pay a million dollars for his FAA super license? We've got to try and slow him down somehow. And if that's uh, by the purse strings, I guess we might as well. Um, but the, what you're talking about here is the, the Formula One super license. So, Every driver who competes in Formula One must hold two licenses. One is an international A license, which they obtain through their you know, national governing body. So if 
Daniel Ricciardo was was a, a, in Australia, it'll be Motorsport Australia, same with Oscar Piastri. Um, but then they have to apply on top of that for an FIA super license. There are criteria for that that they all need to meet in terms of, much like the supercar system, you had to drive certain categories and max a certain number of points and then pay a fee on top of that. Except that- their categories make a bit more sense because <laughs> <laughs> you can actually race some other divisions not F2 and F3 before and get some points awarded. Yeah, it makes sense to everyone except Colton Herter, um, <laughs> who has yes. failed on two occasions in his application for a super super license. But th- there's a flat fee. Now, for 2023, that flat figure was 10,400 euros and then a per point fee that was about 2,000 euros. Now, that's going to uh going to go up by about seven percent we believe this year we haven't actually had the publicly released numbers for for 2024 but what we do know is even using last year's numbers and and extrapolating from there you know max is going to pay because he's amassed 524 points he's going to pay almost 1.2 million euros for uh for his super license in in 2024 which I mean, that's a huge chunk. I'm just going to try and roughly do the um, the calculation. It works out to be, well, it's an even $2 million just for the right to do his job. It's, uh, it, it's an odd one, but it's a quirk of the FIA in that system. And it's also a way of the FIA raising a bit of revenue. They are a non-profit. They don't, uh, they don't have you know, a huge marketing budget and those sorts of things to, to reinvest. So it's just a, a way of, funding the stewards and then all their activities. Yes, it's a very different uh, way of going about things because we certainly don't hear of Patrick Cripps and and uh, the top players in AFL having to pay to be allowed to play their sport. <laughs> yeah, it's... The reason this all came in was basically to keep some of the wobblers out of Formula One. There was a time where, uh, in fact, a little project that I'm doing on the side is going back through the history books of, uh, of Formula One and just looking at some of the drivers that were there. And there are some guys that just shouldn't have been on the grid in the first place. And the idea is that Formula One's got to a stage now where you can't afford to have those drivers there. The cars are too quick. Uh, there's too much media attention on it. We don't want to be selling spaces on the grid. Now, there are always going to be pay drivers. I mean, Lance Stroll is a pay driver, but his record is good enough to be there. It's basically to keep guys, well, guys like me out of the driver's seat. Not that I could afford one, but uh, you don't want blokes who can't drive out on a racing track, um, you know, like Jean-Denis Delatraz was and some of those other guys back in the uh, the early 90s. Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's always been a rich man's sport. But what we want is rich sportsmen, not rich men in general. Yeah. Look, Matt, it's an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. And uh, we must always remember that you can hear more of your insight along with the Speed Cafe and and Fox Sports team with your podcast, Pit Talk, which is available every Monday. Yeah, that's one that uh, Michael Laminato and I do, and uh, yeah, we have a, we have a bit of fun pulling the uh, the races apart and looking ahead. So uh, yeah, we have a good chin wagon. If you're on YouTube as well, you can see my ugly mug as well. But um, maybe turn the screen off and just leave the speakers on for that. Matt, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you here on Inside Motorsport. Thanks once again for your time, and we look forward to seeing if Max Verstappen can 
make it 19 races in a championship season with Vegas and then off to the final race of the year and Abu Dhabi will once again finish it under lights. Always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing the year out and then finding somewhere nice and quiet to lay down and sleep off the massive year that has been. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.